And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf, and you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch over to TP5 and TP5X, and they're now available in high-visibility yellow, and you guys know how much I love the yellow golf ball. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now joining me here is former BC Lions wide receiver Marco Iannucci. Let me give you some more background on Marco. He's from Calgary, Alberta. He went to college here in the States at Harvard and MIT. He played his college ball there at Harvard, where he is still the all-time leader in kickoff return yards average, which he was helped by a 95-yard kickoff return for a touchdown against Brown back in 2010. That year, he averaged 34.5 yards per return, which set the record for the highest single-season average there as well. He was a first-round draft pick, the number six overall selection by the BC Lions in the 2011 CFL draft. And I'm sure it was no coincidence that the Lions went on to win the Grey Cup that season. Played for the Lions from 2011 to 2017. Marco is also one of the most philanthropic guys that you'll find anywhere. He's doing wonderful things to help fight things like MS, autism, homophobia, environmental issues, and a bunch more. Does work for the BC Children's Hospital and also the Children's Hospice there in Vancouver. 2016, he was the recipient of the Tom Pate Memorial Award which is given annually to the player who displays outstanding sportsmanship, made a significant contribution to the league and to his community as well. He's also partnered with Ernie Els and been the chairman of the Els for Autism chapter there in Vancouver. And if all of that wasn't enough, he won the title of Canada's Smartest Person on a TV show of the same name, which aired up in Canada on CBC. Marco joined us several times over on the football side on our show Thursday Night Tailgate, many of those times when he was on the team bus after a game. I'm very honored he's with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Marco, how are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks thanks for having me. You just rem- I was just telling my wife that last a few times ago when I talked to you, I was on the tour bus or I was on the team bus on the way back from uh, a game in Saskatchewan. So, yeah, funny you brought that up. So, Marco, for our audience on this side, Let's let's kind of go back to when you were a kid. We obviously know what a wonderful football player you are now, but talk about the other sports that you played when you were a kid, and then at what point did golf become something for you? Yeah, uh, well, that's an easy answer. I played every single sport possible. I mean, um, you know, when I was when I was younger, I can remember my first childhood memories actually of my mother and I playing uh, ball hockey in our in our backyard, and I remember it. There was two yellow hockey sticks, an orange ball, uh, and it was one of my, you know, coolest and first childhood memories. And, and fast forward a year, I remember I waited for the snow to melt in Calgary, which sometimes can be as late as May. Uh, and uh, snow melted, went out, grabbed the two yellow sticks, the orange ball, called my mom out to play, and uh, she was diagnosed with MS over that year, and, and it became difficult for her to walk. So she slowly made her way out to the porch and slowly sat down. And she told me two things that day. She said, sometimes your body doesn't allow you to do the things you want it to do. So make sure you train your mind as well. Uh, and even though, the second thing she said was, even though I can't play with you today, it brings me great joy to watch you play. So from that day on, you know, whether I was on a track, uh, a volleyball court, uh, badminton, football, basketball, baseball, I literally played every single sport. Um, and golf was just a small part. We didn't really have a lot of money growing up. 
and courses were quite expensive in Calgary since the season, the golf season's only, you know, three, four months long to say. So uh, I played uh, Twilight Father-Son Golf with my dad as much as we could uh, over at the course, which was about 20 minutes from our house called Valley Ridge, beautiful little track. But, but that was the extent of golf that I played growing up. Uh, and I didn't revisit golf until when I came out to play pro. And after, you know, you made it through training camp, uh, the first week of season, then, then the veterans sort of come over to me and say, Hey, just to let you know on, on day one and day two of the week, we go golf at this course if you want to come out. So that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell, how I, how I came to find golf. So were you self-taught? Did you, did you start taking lessons? How'd you become good? Well, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a, 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 an amazing golfer, but I, I play around 30 charity events a year, lots of best ball. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so I myself taught, I kind of picked up from the guys around me. I had some, some real b- good, um, guys who had played in the league, uh, CFL and NFL, and, and they'd been playing so much golf that they had, uh, learned along their paths, you know, from wherever. So I, I picked up as many tips as I could from them. I always felt for me, golf was a time for me to not be coached and for a time for me to not be competitive, to almost just totally relax and uh, uh, clear my mind. So I, I always kind of stayed away from traditional coaching. Now, I did do a couple of golf tech sessions where I had, the, you know, the whole video analysis done. Um, but what I really didn't like is they were trying, they were literally trying to make me swing like Ernie Els. They had me lined up next to Ernie Els and swinging it. And, and I said, you know, when I was playing football, I didn't want, I, sure, I liked Barry Sanders and I liked Deion Sanders, but I didn't want to be just like them. I wanted to be my own player and I wanted to have my own attributes. So um, I took as much as I could from the guys around me. I took as much as I could from those couple lessons and I built my own golf swing. Uh, and, and I like to call it, I, I just became an athlete. And, and over time it became more of a golf orientated swing. But at the beginning days, it was just, it was just being an athlete and making sure that face aligned. Marco, I want to go back to a comment that you made a moment ago that your mom said to you about developing your mind. And like I say, in your intro, you, you went to Harvard, you cross-registered at MIT. Talk about developing mm-hmm. your mind and, and education and what drove you to attend, you know, arguably the, the two top colleges on the planet. Well, you know, first of all, let me back up and tell you, it took me three times to get in. Um, and so the first time when I tried to get in, uh, I, I was, I was really just trying to, you know, check all the boxes that Harvard wanted. And when I showed up, they kind of looked at me and said, you know, uh, you're not good enough type thing. Move on. And I said, you know, I I was almost in Harvard. I got to figure out a way to do this. So why don't I go back and and sort of make myself more diversified? They told me I was like a piece of paper. I was an athlete on one side and I was an academic on the other side. And I realized I had to have more to me. And so that's what I did for the next year. I, I went and I managed a restaurant. Um, I went and I upgraded some uh, academics and, and reapplied to Harvard. And kind of the same people are in the room for the admissions office. And they kind of look at me like, oh, we remember you. But at that time, they said, you know, you've been too far out of academia. So, you know, it, it's not going to work for you. You should move on. And now when I, when I thought along that way, I had beautiful offers because I played junior football. We won a national championship. And I went to prep school and we did really well. And so I had offers to go to Notre Dame, Full Ride, and Purdue, and Boise State. And the 
sort of mentors or people surrounding me in my life, some of them said to me that I was crazy to turn these down at this hopeful chance of getting into Harvard. But I'll tell you, there was one moment specifically. I was I was on a on a trip in Mexico with my buds after 12th grade. We all went, 45 of us, down to Mexico. And there was a language barrier at the resort between some of the guests, between some of the locals, and so on and so forth. And when we were all trying to figure out, you know, where each other was from, someone said, hey, this guy's trying to go to Harvard about me. And as soon as the Harvard came up, every person, no matter where they were from on the globe, what language they were speaking, they knew what Harvard was. And at that moment, I knew it was special. It was almost an international language, almost a, uh, an international uh, known boys club or, or, you know, men and women's club that, that it was something special and it was something to strive for. So two times not getting into Harvard. I showed up the third time and they looked at me and they had 300 pages of application, 100 pages from each year. And they just said, hey, listen, if we just let you in, will you stop sending us applications? <laughs> Good for you with the perseverance. <laughs> so, um, Marco, and, and you had a remarkable playing career there at Harvard. Um, probably one of the best you know, kick returners in the history of the Ivy League. Um, you returned a, a, an 84-yard kickoff uh, for a touchdown in the second half in a game against Yale, your senior season. And that Harvard-Yale, obviously, is, you know, quote-unquote, the game. I wanted to get your thoughts for this audience. What was it like being a part of the game for the years that you were there? You know, it was it was cool. I mean, the... So the Harvard fight song is called 10,000 Men. And you're supposed to, every time you put on your helmet, you think about the 10,000 men that came before you. And uh, when I was in high school, we had 40 years of history, and we were told to think about the 2,000 men that came before us. And so being part of, at that time, I was part of the 127th plane of the game. And uh, I remember it. Actually, funny, I just spoke to our, our captain of the team today about, about my other venture earlier today. But and I was reminiscing with him about the cover of that magazine. Um, and just when you walk out of the stadium, the stadium, for those of you who don't know, it's built after the Coliseum. So it's like it's it's got this sense to it. it's old concrete. And you walk out and you look at everyone out there. Not only do you feel like you're p- part of something bigger than yourself because you're staring at 34,000 fans, but you feel like you're bigger because. You, you you know the campus you're on. You know the people that came before you, the presidents that went to the school, the actors, the you name it, the people who have had so much change on this and so much impact on this planet. You really feel like you're playing for all of them, whether they're they're watching or not. And so uh, I remember I, I had the shoulder surgery in that year. It was my third shoulder surgery of, of my four years in university. And uh, I hadn't played in six weeks. And uh, it, the, the surgery was supposed to be an eight-week recovery time before you started doing activity. And this was six weeks later, and I was in a game. <laughs> so wow. I, went, I remember at halftime, I went, I went to the head coach, and I just looked at him in the eyes, Coach Murphy, and he did a lot for me in my life. And I said, Coach, I'm ready. And so, you know, we, we, we drew up the sort of the play on, uh, for, for the kick return. And when I got that ball, it was like, it was like a mixture of like, the loudest moment ever and the most silent moment ever. Um, it, it literally, I feel like it was out of my body. I feel like my memory of it right now is, is almost of like the video footage. And when I got that ball, I, I literally followed the exact lines that were drawn on the whiteboard. And I can remember every step. I probably took 27 steps 
to get myself to the opening. And, you know, it was just a few more steps to get to the end zone from there. And, and I kid you not, like the, every moment, every step, I was, I was living it as if it was like a, a 10 second moment and, and living it for all the people in that stadium. And I remember I had 27, uh, or no, so I had 64 friends and family there from Calgary and all over Canada. And they had all their, their video camera phones on it. And, uh, and to, to relive that moment from all of their vantage points in the stadium, it, it, perhaps maybe clouded my memory, but made it more slower and real. But I can tell you, it was just such a special moment to play for, for all those people I just mentioned. Wow. What a moment. So, you know, with all of those vantage points, have you put that together? It seems like that would be a heck of a keepsake by being able to see all of those videos and kind of compiled together to see what it was like. And for you, like you mentioned, you sort of get to relive it and have that burned into your memory. Have you done that? Well, uh, on my, on, on YouTube, if you, if you look up, I think it's uh, titled, uh, my little brother uploaded it on my, my, uh, YouTube page years ago. I think it's called the, the most exciting NCAA player, most exciting football play ever. It's on my, my YouTube page. And, uh, it starts out really dark until the light sort of kicks in, but you, the audio and, and, uh, even the visuals towards the last 10 seconds of it, that one is the one that's uploaded online, and that one there gives me goosebumps every time I look at it. Um, we also have the version that's sort of narrated. Uh, each year, the Harvard highlight tape is narrated by, uh, you know, some famous uh, famous NFL voices, the guy that does the NFL history uh, um, uh, narration and voiceover. And so I have that kind of audio in my head at the same time. And between the two of those are both online there. Uh, those are the two visuals I have now. But you know what? I should I should get all those together and put them in one little clip. So you go from there to being a first-round draft pick, the number six overall selection by the BC Lions. What is that like? Well, you know, so first game, we uh, we lost. Second game, we lost. Third game, we lost. First five games of the season, we lost. And my first uh, live interview on, on TSN, which is the equivalent of ESPN down there, um, the guy puts the microphone in my face and he says, Marco, uh, you were the first round draft pick. Your hometown, Calgary, passed you up in the first round. You're now on the BC Lions, and this is the worst team that the Lions have ever had in 60 years. How does it feel to be a BC Lion? <laughs> this is my first uh, interview, Brutal. right? Uh, live. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? So now, fast forward to the end of that year, we went actually, we, we um, won every single game from that point on. And we won the Great Cup, and we actually hosted the Great Cup in our in our home city here in Vancouver. And uh, the same reporter came up to me. The confetti is literally falling on our heads. And he puts a mic in front of me, and he says, hey, this whole province has believed in you guys since day one. How does it feel to be a Great Cup <laughs> champion? <laughs> so I'll tell you, though, uh, <laughs> uh, through that whole season, the, the cool part, and just to relate it back to golf is, uh, we had such a core. We, we literally had the greatest, um, greatest of all time Canadian football receiver, G. Roy Simon, uh, equivalent of, of Jerry Rice. Um, and, and G. Roy, I was playing like not behind G. Roy, but sort of, I was on the same lineup as him. And he taught me so much. In fact, he was the guy that came to me in the early, uh, parts of the season when we were, especially when we were losing there. And he said, Hey, you should come out and golf with us. And I didn't even have clubs, right? Cause I didn't golf since I was a kid. And he said, Hey, man, I'll, 
I'll give you these old clubs. And I was like, oh, cool. I get G. Roy Simon. I, I watched G. Roy Simon as a kid, you know, like, and now I'm playing alongside of him and he's giving me his golf club and I go out and play. So we play our first round and, and uh, I do okay, whatever. Then the next round we play, I, I get a little bit better. Then, then finally we start playing skins, right? Because I knew I wasn't going to win on raw score, but maybe I can steal some skins from these guys. So I start playing skins with them. And, and on that third time, I, I actually got, I got Jira for a little bit of cash, right? And so we get to the end of the game and he goes, uh, it was, he, I'll never forget, it was 400 bucks. And he goes, all right. Um, uh, he goes, uh, no, he goes, you owe me a hundred bucks. Or I said, I owe you a hundred bucks. He goes, no, no, you owe me 400. I said, what do you mean? It's a hundred. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you got to, you also got to pay me for those clubs that I gave you last week. Oh, that's wrong. So he was, he was so mad that I had beat him that all of a sudden he charged me for the club. <laughs> <laughs> that's wrong. Oh, in so many ways. No, no, so, that was good. He was, it was a, it was a great group of guys and, and they, we all stuck together on the golf course and, and, and it translated to the field. I kid you not. And, and, Truly, truly a real team effort and, and a solid group of guys to learn from. So speaking of skins game, you, uh, you've you been out playing in a tournament that uh, was a skins tournament here recently as well. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I, I just got back this last weekend, uh, the 26th year of the Boza Open. Boza is a, uh, one of the largest developers here in, in Western Canada. Um, and so it's a very tight tournament. There's 24 guys invited. It's mostly, uh, you know, the family members. There's a few, uh, a few other people. And I'm one of the guys that got in. They, they were actually one of the, the platinum sponsors of the BC Lions while I was playing. And so, uh, again, it's, it's a raw score tournament, but um, amongst all these four rounds, we play two, two games at, uh, Whistler course, which is an Arnold Palmer course. And we play two games at, at Nicholas North, Jack Nicholas course. And so I know that my raw score, I'm probably not going to play. I entered, I entered in as an 18 handicap. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, I could shoot an 80 and then most days I shoot, you know, mid nineties. So I'm like the worst nightmare for, for entering a handicap game because realistically my handicap's 18, but I can really shoot a lot under that. <laughs> so uh, I tell these guys, you know, we're going to do skins, this and that. And so they're all fine with it, but I tell them the exact explanation I give you. So. I have no skins until the ninth hole. And actually the skins are kind of changing hands to two guys only. So we triple or we double the skins on the ninth hole for the whole back nine. Then we go three holes and no one gets it. So it's push, push, push. So now it's triple the skins three times. And then it's also a long drive hole, which is also double the skins. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah. to top this all off, we're we're playing a round of of wolf amidst amongst this. So I wow. go solo on the wolf round. <laughs> so now it's three times. Long and short of it is, <laughs> I get a birdie on a par five because I was on in two very easily. I had two easy putts to jam it in, uh, and I went twenty four skins on a single hole. <laughs> now, wow! I didn't make I didn't make any other skins on any other hole, and at the end of the round. All three of those guys owed me money. <laughs> so it was a little bit of saltiness, a little bit of saltiness. <laughs> no doubt. Did you have to run off the golf course and get into your car and take off? You know, <laughs> one of the guys, he just sent me an e-transfer just the other day. He just emailed me the money because he was so mad he didn't want to talk to me for the last day of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> no 
doubt. Um, Margo, I want to talk about some of the philanthropic things that you've done and, and kind of getting back to um, the work that you've done with uh, with Ernie Els and Els for Autism. Talk about how you first came in contact with Ernie. Yeah, you know, back, uh, oh man, it must have been 20, 2012, 2013, uh, a business partner at the time, I was working for RBC, uh, I was doing investment banking, and the business partner of mine, South African fellow, uh, says that, you know, Ernie Els does this tournament down in the States. They got about 20 of them across across the United States, and we want to bring one up to Canada. And so he's like, I, I think I've got it okayed. Uh, let's do this. So it was a real big process because, you know, there's a whole bunch of legal things that have to get transferred over, uh, you know, for websites and, and this and that. And, and it was a real big back-end ordeal to get Ernie to come up to Canada. So we go about, we get it done. And I'm sort of part of the board, and uh, we put it together one little tournament. Now Ernie doesn't come up to ours, but the way the Ernie L's tournament works is the winners. It's a two, uh, it's a Callaway scoring system, two two person teams, and the winners, uh, or if you raise more than I think it was eight thousand dollars at the time, you get to go down to the finale and play with Ernie uh, and some of his PGA buds down in uh, Jupiter, Florida. Um, and so. Uh, first year goes pretty well, so well that the next year comes about and we expand it across Canada to two other locations. Goes well, so well that year we expand it across to six locations. Um, and so we became, I think we raised in that one year, we raised a million dollars. And now what we did was in, in the States, all of the funds go towards, um, you know, our Ernie's facility down in Jupiter. Um, and what we did in Canada was we found similar facilities in each province that we played our tournament and we donated to those locations. So we're very proud to raise over a million bucks, um, over those few years. And, uh, and now it's scaled back a little bit. Obviously things have changed a little bit in the world. So this year we weren't, we were unfortunately not able to run the tournament. We ran a, uh, it's coming up actually. It's an online poker event that we can do. Um, but, but over the years it's been real fun to, you know, uh, get number of people out here and send them down to meet with Ernie down there. And, and, you know, if you, if you know, Ernie, uh, he's a fun guy. Not after the course, when you played 19th hole with Ernie, 19th hole with Ernie is probably the most fun that you'll ever have with any golf associated figure that you've ever met. Let's talk about some of the other things that you've done, Marco, just a couple more before I let you go. And, and you've done work with the with MS. Talk about some of the things you've done there and some of the other philanthropic work you've done. Yeah, you know, I mean, my very first charity event, when I won the Great Cup, you get everyone gets the Great Cup for a few days, do what you want. I flew back to my hometown, Calgary, um, and, and the big sort of skyscraper in the middle of downtown is called the Calgary Tower, and, and I invited all the public out and all my coaches and all my friends and all my teammates that I played with, you know, minor football, and I invited everyone out and, uh, you know, we raised cash for, um, the Branch Out Neurological Foundation, which, which focuses on MS and Parkinson's. Um, and I let everyone carry the Great Cup. Uh, there's 800 steps to get to the top. There's a cool video too. It's online. It's called Climb for the Cup. Um, and yeah, we, everyone, I let everyone carry it up. And, and that was sort of the first moment where I realized I was having, um, uh, a bigger impact than myself on the community of MS. Um, and then from there, it snowballed. I was later invited to be a, a member for the MS Society of, of BC. Um, and I still sit on that board today. And uh, they're kind of two different 
two different organizations. One focuses on holistic health and one focuses on more um, resources and, and I guess, Western medicine. So uh, best of both worlds type thing. And, and it's just really important to me because when I, when I looked out there, and the reason actually I got into autism too is, you know, the same way that I feel for my mother, um, you and, and all your listeners and anyone out there, you guys all, everyone feels for someone in their life in that way. And so I felt it was selfish of me to just focus on MS. So while I did focus a lot of my time on MS, I started branching out and, and helping uh, autism and helping um, the Heart and Stroke Foundation and uh, diabetes and you name it. And, and I just, for me, it's all about having an impact because we all go through certain things in our life and, and we all go through tough times. So I, I always find, you know, you give what you can when you can uh, and we're all better for it. Marco, switching gears just a little bit. Talk about what it was like winning Canada's smartest person and then to, and sort of the cherry on top is dropping the people's elbow for the winning moment. So so this is actually really funny because our, our kids now are, are 12, 8, 6, and 7 months. And so when I did that, that was yeah a few years ago now, um, only our eldest really remembered it on TV. So we just pulled out the, the DVD of that a few weeks back and the kids got to watch it because they're into watching all these, you know, with the COVID, they're watching all sorts of, all sorts of uh, game shows that are on, on Netflix. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I was on a game show. They're like, no way, daddy. So we, we struck that thing up and, uh, and we, sh- we showed them that I won the show there. And, and it, w- it was a real neat experience. I mean, um, <laughs> It, television is television, right? So you guys see a, an hour-long show, but we were filming there for for two days, from like seven a.m. till till basically ten o'clock at night. Um, and there's all types of things. Like the games are actually the the true games. Like the lawyer comes out and says, "Do you understand the rules?" "Yes, you understand the rules." Okay, the game starts now. The host then all of a sudden it's action, and the host says, "Game start," and you do the game. But then in between that. There's a whole bunch of B-roll stuff. Like they'll say, oh, hey, Marco, can you say that joke again? And, and you over there, girl, can you laugh a little bit harder? Or can you do some better clapping? And so there's a lot of production going on in the background of, of playing this game. So the reason I won it, and I kid you not, is because I, with the athletic background, I, I've played in front of people. I've had pressure. I've been able to turn it on, turn it off. We have TV breaks in football games and so on and so forth. And all these other people I was playing against were, yeah, they were Menta. Uh, mental members. Yeah, they were uh, surgeons. Yeah, they were very uh, astute people, but they did not know how to compete. And so the reason I won it flat out was just because I was a competitor. Marco, before I let you go, what you're doing now, you're with the Beautiful Game Group. Talk about the things that mm-hmm. uh, you and that organization are getting involved with. Yeah, so it's it kind of links into everything we've talked about. Um, Basically, we're, we're a private equity group and we're going out to buy professional sports teams. Uh, right now we're looking at a, an NBA team, uh, an Italian soccer team, a Spanish soccer team, uh, an esports team. We have a rugby team. So it's any, any sport that is global growth orientated. But our, our key differentiator is that we're trying to make focus the teams on, on impact, um, and the organization on impact. I mean, it should go hand in hand that these teams are servicing the communities and providing an entertainment for them and providing role models. Um, but somewhere along the way with sponsorships and ownership changes and management changes, a lot of these teams have lost that at their core. Um, so we're really focused on, on doing sort of a, a B Corp 
um, uh, full ESG focused on environmental, sustainability, and governance, and really, really, really at its core, servicing the community and then building organizations. Because when you look at the best uh, attended sporting teams and the best traveled fans, it's because they care so much about their team and they care so much about their community and it means so much to them. So we're just going out trying to instill that. So check us out, beautifulgamegroup.com and, and, and reach out to me there if you want to learn more or be a part of what we're doing. So Marco, let our listeners know how else they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media as well. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see. I-, I love following everyone back because I think it's, it's it, social media is so cool, especially during COVID time. But even before that, um, I-, I love following people, seeing what you're into. Uh, you can follow me on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's just, it's just last name and then first name. I knew see Marco. Um, and, and like I said, uh, I'd love to actually see what you're doing on there because I, I have met even through your show. Uh, you know, so many, a few people have followed me and I, I followed them back and all of a sudden I've built relationship with people across North America that I'd never met in person, but I feel like I know and I have at least a, a pulse on what they're doing and the impact they're having. So, uh, I love, love to see some of you out there too. Well, Marco, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come in back and uh, be a part of this show. You've been fantastic over on Thursday night tailgate and I'm so glad I get the opportunity to talk to you here on the golf show. I hope you'll come back. There's a whole lot more I'd like to get into with you. I hope you come back and share more of your stories and insights with us. Hey, you can count me in anytime. And when, when this whole virus thing is over with, we got to play around together for sure. There you go. Marco, take care. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. You too, Cheers. See you, Marco. That's a great Marco Iannuzzi. And folks, a, a more philanthropic guy you will not find. And uh more fun guy as well. And he's, he, like I say, he's been fantastic to us over the years on the football side. Great to have Marco here on the golf side. And keep your eyes on Beautiful Golf, uh, Beautiful Game Group, his new uh, his new organization. Sounds very exciting for the things that they're going to get involved with and in buying up sports teams. And, and uh, hopefully uh, we get the opportunity to have Marco back on the show and give us an update for how that's going. Maybe we can get him to buy the Washington Redskins or whatever their new nickname is going to be. We could certainly use uh, some help over there. So looking forward to catching up with Marco again real soon. 